0: So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.
1: I had just gotten a huge paycheck, and I decided that uh, I was going to go up to Atlanta and get some heroin and some cocaine. We went to this gas station right around the corner, and we went into the bathroom together to use. And uh, I remember when we were like mixing the shot, it was like, this is too much.
2: I remember getting to the gas station. I remember before that going to get the dope. I remember being in the bathroom by myself. And then the next thing I remember is waking up in the back of the ambulance.
1: that Brittany had been with me and that she might be dead, you know? So I started asking the EMTs, like, you know, if she was okay. And uh, they assured me that she was, but, like, it took a few days for it to sink in. Like, hey, you almost killed this person that you care about more than anything else in the world.
0: I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. Britney and Ryan didn't exactly get off on the right foot. They were introduced by a mutual friend who told Britney that Ryan could score her some dope.
2: I thought he seemed like a really nice guy when I first met him, but that kind of changed. Ryan had taken money from me to go buy drugs, and he ended up giving me, like, less than I had paid for. So it wasn't the best impression.
1: I would usually take their money and just completely disappear and, uh... Change my phone number and all that. I was a little better with Brittany, and I actually gave her some of what mm-hmm. I owed her.
0: Ryan doesn't really remember any of the specifics of that day.
1: I was, you know, obviously sort of under the influence or whatever.
0: It was a drug deal gone wrong. Really wrong. And Brittany wasn't the kind of girl who took that sort of thing sitting down.
2: I remember cussing him out in the parking lot.
1: I remember thinking, like, hey, she's cute or whatever, but, like... That My life was just completely focused on other things at the time.
0: They were both addicts. But let's back up a little bit to find out more about how their addiction started. Both Brittany and Ryan had started using when they were teenagers. Ryan tried weed for the first time when he was just 14 or 15.
1: I was like experimenting, you know, and it eventually moved on to like LSD and other similar drugs, you know, like the mind expanders and stuff. By the time I was 17, I was smoking marijuana, like, addictively. Like, I had to have it all day, every day. From there, it was pretty quick jumps to prescription pills and cocaine and everything else. By the time I was 19, I was starting to take painkillers on a regular basis. By the time I was 20, I was shooting up heroin, and then I much shooting up heroin for the next 15 years.
0: Ryan and Brittany's addiction stories are different, but they're also very similar because a lot of addiction stories are very similar.
2: Uh, My story's kind of similar to Ryan's. I started around the same age. I was 14 when I first smoked weed and drank alcohol, and I loved it. Right from the start, it was like medicine for me, and I did it as often as I could any substance that I came across, I would try. I didn't have the access to the other stuff as often, but I got into pain pills probably when I was 15, and I did them as often as I could. It was uh, the same thing, it just gave me ease, you know? It made me comfortable, it made me feel uh, like everybody else. That's how I perceived it. By the time I was 18, I got physically addicted to painkillers. By 19, I had switched to heroin. I've overdosed three times. What was that like the first time that you did heroin? Not much different than painkillers. It was kind of the same feeling. I, was, I remember I was afraid to do it because I didn't know what to expect. You know, you hear all these crazy stories about it, um, but I was sick. I was physically addicted, and it was the only thing available. You know, it was cheaper, it was more available, and then that became the main thing that I would do.
0: Ryan, how about you? What was that first time
2: like?
1: I was already, like, doing pain pills on a pretty regular basis, and I needed something stronger, you know? And I remember the first day that I did heroin, I snorted it, and then as soon as I got the effect from it, I was like, I hear you can shoot this stuff up, too. Like, let's try that next. And that was the very next day. I was putting needles in my arm. So it was uh, it was love at first sight, or however you want to put it.
0: <laughs> now, it wasn't love at first sight for Brittany and Ryan. In fact, just the opposite. After Brittany cussed him out in that parking lot, they went their separate ways. Until six months later in May, they both ended up in the same rehab.
1: As soon as I saw her, I remembered, you know, that time when we had met. A part of our recovery program is sort of like making amends to those you've harmed. And I was really excited to make that amends because I saw her and was just like, oh, she's gorgeous. And like, I was basically looking for an in so we could start talking.
2: (laughs) I remember walking out of the doors to the recovery meeting that I was at and seeing Ryan and just seeing like a huge smile on his face and he looked healthy. I knew that he had been in treatment for a few months, but I was just like amazed at how different he looked and how happy he looked. Yeah. I remember, I think I yelled over to you like, Hey, you look really good. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, we both just like teased at each other for a minute, but, uh, yeah, I I know it was, like, attraction when I first saw him.
0: Ryan sent Brittany a friend request first. As soon as she accepted it, Ryan sent her a message right away.
2: And it was, like, from that point on, I think it was, like, two weeks that we were continually messaging back and forth. And then finally, I remember Ryan was like, so, you know, we've been talking for about two weeks nonstop now. Maybe we should, uh... Consider this a thing now, you know. He acknowledged that he had feelings for me, and I was like, "Dang, I do too." I don't know. It was it was very fast. Like right from the beginning, we were like so into each other, like head over heels for each
1: other.
0: Had either of you guys ever felt that way before?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a pattern in my life of it's like the codependent pattern where like I'm always. Falling in love and being in relationships and every single one, like it's followed the same pattern. They've never been healthy relationships. And when we first met, like everyone in our like recovery group, they were pretty clear with us that it probably wasn't the best idea, like at where we were in our recovery for us to dive into a relationship. But uh, we did it anyway. And that's a pattern
2: for me as well. And usually it's people that aren't capable of (laughs) returning that affection
0: they dated for four months against everyone's advice that's one of the first rules of rehab you don't date someone in rehab stay single stay focused focused on you and your recovery and getting better but britney and ryan didn't listen they started talking in may of 2016 and by october they were really really serious
1: I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing for my recovery at all. I was focusing on my relationship and uh, my job and focusing on like my failures at work and just stress from there. I
2: definitely think that we were in love, that we had totally lost sight of what our priorities should be. Like Ryan said, we were really just focusing all of our attention on each other, and our recovery started to suffer for that.
0: When Brittany says their recoveries both suffered, she means they were both heading for a relapse, a major relapse.
1: I had just gotten a huge paycheck, and I decided that uh, I was going to go up to Atlanta and get some heroin and some cocaine. On the way back, I thought it might be a good idea if I asked Brittany to come join me to leave the treatment center she was in and come join me on this relapse.
0: Ryan had spent a long time romanticizing drugs, imagining him and Britney like characters in a movie. Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly in Requiem for a Dream, Penelope Cruz and Johnny Depp in Blow. He watched those movies over and over again. And while their love story seemed great and all, the thought of doing drugs with brittany that seemed so sexy.
1: We look back on it like it was this magical cool fun thing and I imagined like this girl that I had really strong feelings for like if we went and did this thing together that it would be even better than it had been before
2: overnight we are shooting heroin and cocaine we're in a hotel room and my life it looks exactly like it did a few years ago when I was at like the lowest low I'd ever been I'm watching this person that I really love turn into like a monster and myself turn into a monster. We fought the entire time. Just thinking about it is kind of sickening, you know?
1: It ended up not being anything like I thought it would be like at all. It was pretty much a nightmare.
0: We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Brittany and Ryan had spent about $500 on drugs. That was enough to keep them pretty high for at least a few days. They paid for a room at the Roadway Inn on Washington Road right outside of Augusta. It looks like any other anonymous motel that you'd find on the side of the highway. There's nothing particularly seedy about it, nothing particularly fancy either. You'd have no idea that a couple had just checked in there with the sole purpose of doing $500 worth of heroin.
2: I felt awful, but when you're still high and you're still running to get more, you don't really stop to think about much. You know, the only thing I was really thinking about was I'm losing my mind and I had to get more and the days just kept going by.
1: I'd run out of the heroin that I'd bought in Atlanta, and we had to go get some more. So we went and found some more in Augusta. We picked it up, and we went to this gas station right around the corner. We went into the bathroom together to use, and I remember when we were, like, mixing the shot, it was like, this is too much. I did mine, and I left the bathroom to go out and wait in the car for her to come out. I remember walking out the door of the gas station. I remember walking up to my car door, and then the next thing I knew, I was laying on the floor in the parking lot of the gas station, looking up at the light in one of those roofs that they have over the gas pumps, and there was like five or six EMTs all standing around me.
0: Ryan had overdosed. He'd overdosed right there on the ground of the parking lot of the gas station.
1: I remember one of the first things I said to the EMTs was like, I was clean for 10 months, you know, and like that was, I wasn't anymore, obviously. Where was Brittany? Brittany had been with me and I realized that she might be dead, you know, so I started asking the EMTs like if she was okay. When I realized that something might have happened to her, you know, and that would have been my fault, you know, people talk about their bottoms. You know, I had a, I had quite a few bottoms over my fifteen years of using, and I sort of skimmed across the bottom of a bottom for years and years. But that moment right there was the lowest low I've ever experienced.
2: Brittany, what do you remember sitting here listening to Ryan? There's details of that that I I didn't even know. Listening to him talk about us being in the bathroom together, I didn't I didn't realize that. I remember going to get the dope. I remember getting to the gas station. I remember being in the bathroom by myself. The next thing I remember is waking up in the back of the ambulance. They were like strapping things to me. I was just scared to death that something had happened to him. It took us a few days to really get to the end of this little run that we were on. And I thought I had caused brain damage. I uh, was having a hard time formulating sentences, and I just kept getting really confused about things. I was sitting there thinking, you know, I I finally did it. I finally have done this irreparable damage to myself that I'm not going to be able to get sober. I'm not going to be able to get better from this again.
1: It took a few days for it to sink in like, hey, you almost killed this person that you care about more than anything else in the world. Maybe you should think about that, like maybe you should address that.
0: So can you guys explain a little bit to our audience, what's an overdose? What does it look like? What happens to your body? What does it feel like?
1: So opioids, opiates, they're a central nervous system depressant. So it slows down your breathing basically. And when you do too much, obviously you breathe less and less until you just stop breathing. It's just all of a sudden everything goes black and then you wake up a few hours later. Unfortunately, like lots of people, obviously just never wake up from that.
0: When they finally recovered from the overdoses, both Brittany and Ryan decided they had to go back into rehab. Their recovery mentors and advisors told them they absolutely couldn't be together. They just couldn't.
1: It was like an indefinite period of time that we weren't allowed to communicate so we could focus on ourselves.
0: Ryan's mentor in recovery made one exception to the rule. He wanted Ryan to apologize to Brittany for encouraging this relapse, for what he'd done to her.
1: I was just so anxious about it. Like, I remember sitting there waiting to start or whatever, and I was just shaking like a leaf. Like, I was so scared. He thought it would be a good idea for me to uh, get on my knees in front of Brittany and uh, basically apologize for everything and then like to basically say a prayer that it never happens again. And uh, there was not a dry eye in the room.
2: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it was really emotional. I, um, almost couldn't handle it. I was like, Oh my God, this is really happening right now. It was extremely emotional. I was really overwhelmed. I had to finally admit that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship without getting head over heels (laughs) to the point of losing sight of everything else. You know, so I had to learn to slow down and I had to let other people guide me. So it was, it was terrifying. And you guys had to give each other up. Tell me about that.
1: Part of the agreement was that we weren't supposed to have any contact at all. And it was an indefinite amount of time. And the entire time I'm pestering my mentor, I'm like, how long do we really have to do this? You know, like, we could just do this for two weeks, right? Like, two weeks will be long enough. And then she and I can start talking again. Like, I was just in the throes of codependency. Like, I needed I needed that validation that I get from being in a relationship, you know. And uh, he wasn't really clear with me about how long it was going to be.
0: And finally, after 30 days, they were allowed to send one text message a day to each other. A week after that, they got to add in a phone call once a week.
1: I know the first time we saw each other after that was at Thanksgiving dinner at our little recovery clubhouse. And that was just dinner in a public place. You know, we weren't able to go and like, you know, be by ourselves at all.
0: And what was that like,
2: seeing each other after all that time? Um, I remember I was super nervous. It was like, I don't know. It was like the first time I was going on a date with him. I hadn't seen him in forever. And it was like, there was so much I wanted to say but it's like, I didn't know where to start and I was just happy to be around him. It really felt like we were doing the right thing, you know, so it was satisfying in that way.
0: Did the two of you still want to be together? Did you still have any interest in pursuing a romantic relationship at all?
2: Of course, what I wanted to be doing all the time was going to see Ryan and, you know, talking to him on the phone and texting and, you know, putting all my focus there. That's what I wanted to be doing. But it was just like, I don't know, when we did get to see each other, it was really special. We made it more special, you know. We made it more intentional to really enjoy the time we had together. You know, in that whole process, it was a big lesson in faith for me. And it was just like, You know, for the first time I had to really just learn to trust and I had to learn to um, rely on other people. When I was feeling those uncomfortable feelings, I couldn't just run back to Ryan for that comfort, you know, of knowing that he was okay and knowing that we were still together. It was like I had to just trust that God was going to take care of it and it was going to work out how it was supposed to work out. And it was a struggle every single day to do that.
0: Talk to me a little bit about dating slowly. How do you do that after you've already dated so quickly?
2: Well, you know, we had all the rules. That was kind of frustrating, but it was worth it. And like I said before, it was like, you know, for once, I felt like I was actually making healthy decisions. You know, I need a lot of help with making healthy decisions. But for once, my life was starting to balance out. When did you guys know you wanted to get married?
1: The day I met her. Um, <laughs> no. Um honestly, like even those first few months before the relapse, the way we clicked, you know, people talk about being on the same wavelength as someone else or someone being like their soulmate. And with Brittany, like I definitely experienced that like I've never experienced it before. We joke around a lot saying she's the same person as me. <laughs> like we have the exact same taste in everything. We have the same attitude. And I knew then she was someone that I could definitely spend my life with. And once we started to like get back into our recovery, at that point, it was about learning how to be the kind of person that someone that I care about so much would want to be in a relationship with. It was about learning how to be responsible and reliable. And Loving and caring and all the stuff that I thought I was in the past, you know, but wasn't. Learning that was a process. It still is a process.
2: I know from the time that we started dating again up until we got married, that was true for me, too. There was a lot of like a lot of growing pains. I had to learn to trust Ryan again. And that was like really scary for me. I was so scared that he was going to relapse again and all this was gonna dissolve, you know? I had to choose to trust him every day and it just takes practice. I found somebody that was, he had the same wants as me. We like love to be around each other, I don't know, we just, we click. But there were still the things that I had to deal with that were like holding me back, you know, in order to get to the place where I could be a good person for him, too. Now, this was a process.
0: They started going to a codependency group together. It was a huge help in learning to take care of themselves and take care of each other.
2: They finally learned how to set these healthy boundaries. That transformed My recovery, my relationships with him and other people, that was like, I I needed all of that, all of that help. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we'll hear how Ryan
0: proposed to Brittany. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real life murder of my great, great grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now, wherever you get your books. Okay, so it's August 2017, and the only news story that matters, seriously, the only news story that matters, is the total eclipse of the sun.
1: Good day, everyone, and welcome to our special live coverage of this historic event. It is a rare total solar eclipse sweeping from coast to coast. Let's show you a live picture. Now, I
0: don't know if I've told you guys this story. But I actually drove from San Francisco to Fossil, Oregon with a seven-week-old. Yes, a seven-week-old, just to see the total eclipse of the sun. Ryan thought it was pretty special, too. Ryan was scrolling through Facebook, and he saw this meme about how cliched it would be to propose during the eclipse.
1: And I was like, that's a pretty good idea, (laughs) because we'll remember it forever. We'll remember it was, you know, August 21st, 2017. So we were both at work that day, and at my work, we went up on the roof of the building to look at the eclipse. We all had the glasses and stuff, and I got one of my coworkers to take a picture of me uh, down on my knee, and I held like a key ring up to look like it was a ring, you know, and uh, I sent the picture to her and asked her to marry me.
2: I was at work too. It was kind of cool because we were both outside with our coworkers, with our little glasses on and stuff, looking up at the eclipse. And um, I got the text, and I was like, "What?" I was so surprised, and um, I said yes.
1: And uh, I didn't realize how quick it was going to be after that. We really, uh, (laughs) we really sort of dove into it, and like you know what, we got married less than six months later.
2: And we did kind of rush it. I have a brother that's in the military, and he was supposed to get deployed in the spring. And it was really important for me to have my family there. So we were like, all right, well, let's let's do it in February. You know, and we picked a date. I remember feeling nervous that it was so soon, but really excited that we weren't wasting any time, that we were just getting to it, you know, because I knew that I, I wanted to marry him. You know, it was a lot of fast planning, and it was kind of stressful, but... Um, it was magical. Yeah, it came together.
0: Brittany walked down the aisle to First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes.
2: Our wedding was um, really special. We uh, we planned it with our families, which was really cool. You know, I I had kind of a strained relationship with my family up until you know, a couple years ago and getting to go through the planning process with them. It was really special. It was exciting. It was like, finally, they were supporting a decision I had made too. That was something totally new. It was like, they loved Ryan and they wanted us to get married. And I had never been in a relationship that my parents really approved of up until that point. So that was really cool. And then the actual ceremony, you know, we had my entire family there. Our recovery family was here, Ryan's whole family, everybody that we loved and had in our support was there and shared this moment with us. I don't know. It was just really, it was really special.
1: I mean, our families, just a couple of years before that, they were experiencing these same feelings of hopelessness that we were. I, I felt like my life was hopeless. I'm pretty sure Brittany felt like her life was hopeless and our families felt that way too. I thought I was going to die that way. My family was convinced I was going to die that way, and I'm pretty sure it was the same for Brittany. And to go from those feelings to us all celebrating our life and love together, it was like awesome.
2: I think I sobbed the whole time. <laughs> it was really it was really amazing. Do you ever miss it? Do you miss the drugs? No. Yeah, actually. <laughs> honestly, no. It's pretty amazing. Like, Recovery is just like in every aspect of my life now, and I just love my life today. Uh, I have no desire to go back. I've healed so much from this time of being sober. I had been sober in the past for about two and a half years, and I didn't have the freedom and the peace of mind that I have now. I think really working on those areas of my life that I hadn't worked on, that was essential for my recovery. I have... A freedom that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, I do have to do the work every day. Absolutely. But I wouldn't go back.
1: The thought crosses my mind because, I mean, it is how I was programmed to live my life for a really Mm -hmm. long time. The thought crosses my mind, and I'm just like, oh, that's absolutely insane. Like, you would be giving up all these amazing things that you have. You have this lovely wife. You have relationships with your family. You have a job that needs you and wants you there, and that is great. And it's like that with every aspect of your life. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I definitely wouldn't trade that for this fleeting high, you know.
2: I work at a treatment center now. We have to do regular searches of people's belongings when they come in. Once in a while, we come across drugs that are in people's luggage, you know. And just recently, maybe about two months ago, I had an experience at work where I had found some pills in somebody's bag. You know, that's something in the past that I wouldn't have hesitated to take. But it was like, immediately, I just knew that it would never be enough for me. It was just like the desire had been lifted. I was aware of, you know, that change that had occurred. I don't know, it was a really cool experience for me. And how has your marriage helped your recovery?
1: It's really cool to have a partner in recovery because... You know, she understands that, like, I need to put my recovery first. When I have plans that are, like, recovery-related or whatever, like, she's not upset that I have to go take care of my recovery first. It, it's, it goes both ways, and it's good to have, as part of my, like, counsel that I use in recovery, like, to have her there. She's one of the trusted members of my recovery council that I go to with problems. And, of course, you know, I don't go to her with all my problems, but... I have a good network of people, and she's part of that network. And it's cool to have someone like that so close.
2: Brittany, how about you? We really motivate each other to keep going down the path that we're going. We just support each other, and it's really awesome. I have somebody that I can grow with now. We're just learning together. Tell me a little bit about what life's like now.
0: What are you both doing for work? Brittany, I know you're working at a rehab center. What do you want your future to look
1: like? So I manage a business today. Actually, I have the most cliche recovery job other than working in a treatment center. I manage a vape shop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's super cliche, dude. Yeah, (laughs) Uh,
1: it's not what I expected at all. But, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm really happy with where I'm at when it comes to work. There's a lot of balancing that we have to do in our lives today. We're both incredibly busy. Like we both work like 45 plus hours a week. We both try to be active in our recovery communities. We both try to spend time with our families. It's it's hard to do sometimes, it's stressful sometimes, but like I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. It takes work and I know it's just gonna get better as I practice it more and more, you know. Balance is sort of what it's all about for us though. And as far as the future goes, like, we want to have at least one child. I'm not really sure if it's going to be one or more, but I think one child at least. And then... Uh...
2: Start with one. Yeah, we'll start with one. Watch, we'll have twins now.
1: And we want to buy a house. We both have terrible credit, so we're working on repairing <laughs> our credit right now, which is amazing that we're both even in situations where we can actually repair our credit, considering, like, how... Irresponsible, We both were when it comes to that. So we can hopefully buy a house in the next few years. The next five to ten years, like, I just see unlimited potential.
0: Did you guys ever think that life would be like this? That you'd have this so-called normal life?
1: Absolutely no. not. One of those other, like, recovery cliches, when you first land in a treatment center, you know, someone, like, super motivational is telling you, like, I want you to write down like every goal that you have for a year from now. And I promise you, if you stick to this program, like you're going to blow all that stuff out of the water. And I remember my goals list was like, have a job and have a car and like be able to eat every day. You know, like that's what I was looking forward to in my life in recovery. Here I am two years later and it's like. I'm a normal, functional member of society. I contribute to society. I I never thought I would be able to say that. I never knew I cared about that until I actually became a part of society. And it's like, oh, this is actually really rewarding. I guess that's why people do this.
2: Yeah, we can actually go to sleep at night knowing that we've done the best we can. One of my go-to sayings is, you know, just do the next right thing. And that's what I try to do. And I know that's what Ryan tries to do as well. (laughs) If we ever make mistakes, we try to make them right and we try to be helpful and it's given us a really good life, you know, and I know that it is going to get better from here. We're still just rebuilding. It's exciting. It's really exciting to think about what's ahead for us if we keep doing the next right thing.
0: Both of my parents were in and out of recovery when I was a kid but they never did it together it was always at different times and always on their own terms and they were always in different places with their recovery what struck me the most about Brittany and Ryan's recovery story is how often they used the word we if we ever make mistakes we try to make them right Addiction is a terrible, terrible disease. I'm hopeful for Brittany and Ryan. I'm hopeful for them because they're doing this together. They're doing all the right things together. I love what they said that good things are ahead for them if they just keep doing the next right thing.
1: This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. Special thanks to Brittany and Ryan Coleman. It was produced and edited by Ramsey Yunt and Tyler Klang with mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Mangesh Hatikater, and Will Pearson. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. 1173. You can grab a copy of Joe's new book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed with Joe Piazza has been a production of the House Stuff Works family, produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala.